Any time that we dedicate space for God in our lives, interesting things happen. And that's where I want to go. We're, we're starting a new series today. We, we uh, finished up our series in Philippians and we're diving into a series that uh, will be sort of circling around Psalm 23. So if you want to find Psalm 23, for the next six weeks, we're going to launch out of Psalm 23 into some other passages that help us to have a clearer picture of who Jesus is. And here's where I'm going with that. I was doing some cleaning in my office, and I came across my old WWJD bracelet. Anybody know what I'm talking about? What would Jesus do? Except that my bracelet is actually an HCWKWJWDIWDKWHD bracelet. Anybody? How can we know what Jesus would do if we don't know what he did? And this series is about that. I want to know what he did. I want to know what he came to do. I want to know what he came to do for me, for you, what we are to do as a church in response. I wrote this in my journal. I am weary of things that we've created in the name of Jesus. We've marketed him, distorted him, used him. We've created religions that exclude and divide when I think he wants to bring us together under his lordship. So I wanted a series ending on Easter that taught us about Jesus, who Jesus really is as he is described in God's word. He wants us to know him so we can imitate him in this broken world. I'll use Psalm 23, beautiful, simple, ancient, to launch into a reminder of who Jesus is. He wants us to be honest about who he is, who we are, and what he came to do as he challenges us to respond Psalm 23 is famous. It's uh, done at funerals. It's done uh, to help some of you go to sleep at night. Instead of counting sheep, you talk to the shepherd. It goes like this, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I'm reading from the New International Version. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Number of things that get my attention, and again, we're going to spend today in this psalm And then the rest of the series, we're going to launch into some other passages that sort of show how Jesus uh, acts this out, how, how Jesus lives this out in his life. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, you're going to think I need to order some Grubhub because I'm going to spend some time on the first two words. But there's only six verses, so stay where you are. 
The first idea, the Lord is our shepherd. If you look in your Bible, the word Lord, or, and even on your phone, the word Lord is capital L-O-R-D. And it's all uppercase, even though the L is larger than the O-R-D. And, and whenever your Bible in the English translation spells it that way, it's a translation of the word that we have, Yahweh. Yahweh. We sang it in one of the songs. And that is the, the personal name. That's, that's when you're praying and you call on the Lord as if He's in the same room. You, you call on the Lord. That's, that's not the distant, scary, creator, way out there guy. That's the one you can count on, the personal Lord. And so when David, who wrote this psalm, said, the Lord is my shepherd, he's reaching out to a God who's personal. Now, let me kind of frame this because it's, it's, so, it's sort of important. Psalm 23, stay with me, is right between Psalm 22 and 24. Good? So Psalm 22 speaks about the cross. It's, it's quoted more than any other psalm by Jesus on the cross in the context around the cross. Psalm 22 is about a Savior who would sacrifice. Okay? Psalm 24 has two purposes. One is to celebrate the Ark of the Covenant coming into Jerusalem, but the other meaning of it, the prophetic meaning of it, is celebrating when Jesus will return as King. So we've got Psalm 22 that tells us of the cross, the suffering of the Savior, the one who will sacrifice on our behalf for all the sins of the people. Then we've got over here what we talked about when we studied Revelation, that the king will return. There will be a time when Jesus comes back at the appointed time when God is ready to pull a curtain down on the universe. Jesus will return. And in between those two, you remember our math lesson? Psalm 23. How do we live in between the cross and the return? How do we live between the sacrifice of the Savior and the return of the King? How do we do that? The Lord is my shepherd. And so the poet, David, in this case, we don't know if he wrote this psalm, this poem, as a young boy who was currently a shepherd or as a king when he was a little older, looking back on his time as a shepherd, we don't know. What we do know is that he describes this in intimate detail, and the metaphors, the comparisons that he uses are so much obvious that a shepherd wrote it. I don't know if you've discovered the little book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by uh, uh, Keller, uh, Philip Keller, uh, it's, it's an amazing uh, comparison. Keller is a shepherd, or a rancher, a sheep herder, and he talks about a lot of the things that are in this psalm in real sheep person's terms, and it made a lot of stuff uh, clear to me, particularly one part of it I'll get to in just a minute. 
But David is intimately aware of what it means to be a shepherd, to be responsible for the sheep. And so he says, we should start with the idea that God is God and we are not. We we should start with the idea, the Lord, let's just stop there, hard stop, the Lord, the personal Lord, the creator, the sustainer, the one who, who, who needs to control the irrigation system in Liberia when we can't do another human thing to make it work. The God who who walks us through our grief, the God who helps us in our pain, the God who shares with us in our celebrations, that God, there is no other. He is sovereign. He does what he wants to do. He doesn't do what he doesn't want to do. We may not understand it. We may not like it, but he is God. And no matter what we do with his word, It's still His Word. It's not my interpretation of His Word. And whether I'm commenting on some cultural issue, whether that is sexuality, whether that is gender identity, whether that is right or wrong in the justice, whether this guy was unfair to this guy, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God said. The Lord is my shepherd. But then He makes a declaration Now, obviously, that is a declaration. The Lord is my shepherd. But then he says, I shall not want. And so the first declaration is this declaration that he will allow God to be his owner. Now, I know that's almost getting into some shaky ground there because we don't like the idea that someone owns someone but but remember he's using the metaphor of sheep sheep have been domesticated for 4000 years or more there, there's no such thing as a wild sheep who thrives because they they've been bred to the point that they can't get rid of their wool unless a, a shepherd helps them get rid of their wool. This is a declaration of he owns me. I belong to him. I will follow him. I will hear his voice. I am a sheep. He is a shepherd. I understand that my sheep are owned by somebody. When I call out to them, they all come. It's a it's ownership. But he's incredibly content with that ownership. I don't want anything. I I trust him. He knows what I need. He knows what I want, even though I don't know I want it. He he knows what's best for me. I I, I am his. He he says, the rod and the staff, they comfort me. Now, that doesn't sound right. When you use a stick to pull me back in line, when you tap me when I'm not behaving well, the, the rod is actually used to count as well. One, two, three, four. Make sure you got them all. And so he says, even the discipline comforts me. I'm owned. I belong. I've made a choice because I can't be owned. I can't serve two masters, the scripture says. And I'm perfectly content with that arrangement. Those of you that have struggled through a situation, maybe it was like the Liberia team and you just can't figure out on human terms how to get through it. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's a relationship that's fractured. 
Maybe it's a commentary politically or ethically. Maybe it's something going on at work. Maybe something going on at school, something going on at home. It's a, it's a situation that a psalmist might describe as the valley of the shadow of death or the really dark place. David says, I'm content. I don't need anything. The Lord is my shepherd. Do you hear the devotion in that? Do you you hear that that David has made a choice, right? The, The sheep don't make choices. Obviously, the metaphor breaks down. But you and I make choices. We, we follow somebody. Bob Dylan said, so you got to serve somebody. And we do. We serve somebody. Is the Lord my shepherd or is he not? Have I chosen to say, Lord, I, I, I know that, that, that if I'm left on my own, I am sinful. I am disobedient. I don't want to do the things I ought to do. And I, I, I do want to do the things I don't, shouldn't do. I I am yours, I am content in that arrangement, and I am in love with that arrangement. I don't have to worry about the pressure of being the shepherd. I hear your voice, I read your words, I don't like all of that that I read, but I do that which I should do because you, the shepherd, I am devoted to you. I want to show you a picture that I took. Uh, one time, uh, one of the trips that I've been to Israel, uh, we were taking a day off from the touristy stuff, and uh, we were looking for a place that our archaeology teams at the seminary might uh, do some work. And so we were crawling through some caves, and uh, we exited one of those caves into a shepherd's field that was the same as it was when David walked. And if you look real closely, there is a T that's made up of stone walls. The T deadens into a shallow little bluff or cliff, and, and then the edges or the, the, the side pieces of the T, they form a, a sort of a square against the back of the bluff, and then the wall down the middle, and then the wall, that's two sheep folds from ancient times. I recognized them immediately because the shepherd, this this would be shared by two shepherds, and at night he would call his sheep or she would call her sheep. Shepherdess is, is a common occurrence. And the sheep would recognize that voice. They would have been grazing mingled with other flocks but here we have a, 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 a time when it's time to go to bed and the shepherd calls the sheep and they all come to them. And the one that needs to go with that shepherd goes around that end of the tee. The one who goes with that shepherd goes around that end of the tee. They go into that opening that you see once they're all in and counted with the rod The shepherd lays across that opening, and it symbolizes to the sheep, I've got you. 
And the sheep lay down and they rest. Sheep won't rest if they're in fear. Sheep won't rest if they're anxious. Sheep won't rest if they sense a predator. The sheep see the walls around them, the bluff behind them, the shepherd laying across the sheep, the edge of the opening of the sheepfold. And whether sheep have their own language, it's like Klingon, I don't know. They say, the Lord is my shepherd. That's my shepherd. I'm where I belong. I'm in the fold. I'm where I can find rest. That's why he cries out to Yahweh. That's why he cries out to the personal God. And implied, but also voiced throughout this psalm, is that sense of dependence. That sense of dependence. Before I move there, oh, I probably should explain. So when you talk about dependence, you talk about trusting someone to do something you cannot do for yourself. Every now and then, sheep decide they don't need a shepherd. And they escape. And sometimes they escape for a while. This is a sheep named Barak. And he escaped for about six years. And for about six years, he wandered around in the woods. And his wool got thicker and thicker. And after a while of... Australian equivalent of a forest ranger spotted him, managed to corral him. It wasn't hard. Barack was not very fast at this point. Barely able to walk. Couldn't see. Couldn't hear. Could barely get water to go past all that to get in his mouth. And so the forest ranger turned him over to an animal rescue ranch that specialized in sheep, and it took him about two hours to uh, shave all of the wool, 75 pounds of it, until Barak now looks like the other picture. He depends on the shepherd. If left alone, the wool covers his eyes, he can't see. The wool fills in his ears, he can't hear. The the parasites begin to get inside the wool because there's no hygiene there. The hoofs get uh, uh, incredibly overgrown without being cared for. If, If there is no sense of a shepherd taking care of a sheep, the sheep is going to eventually die. Barak couldn't live much, much longer than that. The shepherd talks about that. He talks about what he does for his sheep and what God does for him. Listen to how he says it. He leads me, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, you have seen pictures of the Middle East. There's not a lot of green grass. If there's any green grass, it's because a, a shepherd made it happen. Keller, in his book, talks about the amount of care that he goes into preparing pastures and how he moves the sheep from pasture to pasture so that when they eat the grass down, they don't pull out the roots until it can't grow back. He takes care of the grass as much as he takes care of the sheep. 
He makes me lie down in those kind of pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. You've heard it said that a, a sheep doesn't like rushing water. They can't swim. They know they'll drown. I mean, that's, what's the old joke? Does a, shrink, does a sheep shrink when it gets wet? Because it's wool? <laughs> that was a joke, but a bad one. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul guides me along right paths. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. There's a, an interesting thing that takes place there. We, we've talked about how the direction is upward. The Lord is my shepherd. We've talked about the, the devotion. The Lord is my shepherd. We talked about the dependence. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, the poet does an interesting thing in verse 4. He speaks of the Lord, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. And if you have passed English at any point in your life and understand first person, second person, third person, he's been talking in third person. Now he talks in second person. The Lord is my shepherd, third person. Now he says, I don't fear walking through the darkness because you are with me. We don't use the word you or in our culture, y'all, unless somebody's in the room. We don't, we don't talk about you when it's somebody that's not there. It, it, it's, it's presence. And if we go back a little bit to the Old Testament, when, when we look at Moses or we look at Noah or we look at Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, the common theme was a desire for the presence of God. When the Israelites were walking through the wilderness, the presence of God was the fire by night and the smoke by day, the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. When David confessed his famous sin in Psalm 51, he said, do not cast me away from your presence. And when there is this use of second person, you get this, you are with me. Yahweh is with me. The personal, the, the ever-present, that's the God who's with me. That's the shepherd who watches over me. There is this, this personal dependence that's there. And so Barak finally found his way home. He has to wear a little coat because he's had all that wool on him for so long. He worried he'd catch a cold. There is probably not a better picture of the intimate care of a shepherd. Well, here's the deal. Ownership, contentment, dependence, care. A sheep doesn't choose. A sheep is born and they're marked. Their ear is notched in some uh, uh, unique way to say that's the sheep that belongs to this shepherd. You and I carry, as the song said, we carry the mark of the cross. We carry the, the, the reminder that we have chosen to follow this good shepherd. But in a culture 
That's so crazy. And that was part of my, my thought as I prepared this series. The, the culture is so crazy. There are so many different versions of Jesus that are out there. How do we know which one? And what do we do once we learn about him, once we discover him? The most famous quote from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, He says, the one thing we can't do is ignore him. The one thing we can't do is pretend that he's one way among many. Lewis said it this way. I'm here trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing you cannot say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The Lord is my shepherd, and in that I'm going to be content. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. In Keller's book, he talks about that line, he restores my soul. Okay, show of hands, agricultural kind of people, how many of you have ever heard the term a cast sheep? That's what I thought. Somebody on the line is probably raising their hand. Keller pointed out that when a shepherd refers to a sheep that's on its back, his little legs in the air, that is a cast sheep. And if a sheep is cast, he will die. The gases build up in some biological miracle that I don't know, and and that sheep will die if he's not placed upright. The gravity, the, the, the biological balance, something is wonky. If a sheep falls over and somehow gets all the way over on his back, he's gone unless something, somewhere, somebody outside of his agency gets him back on his feet. Keller thinks that's what's meant here. He restores him. He gets him back upright. If he's lost, he goes to find him. If he's on his back, he turns him back over. I, I, I can see that. There have been so many times that through whatever it is in my life, I've been upside down. I'm just my legs like a cockroach. And I needed something, somebody outside of my ability to fix it on my own. I needed some inspiration so the water pump would start working. Because we've done all we can to figure it out. We need that miracle. We we need what Isaiah said in Isaiah uh, chapter 40. 
He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead those who are with young. Yeah, there, throughout the scripture, there is an idea that, that what Jesus came to do was take the cast sheep and put them back on their feet to restore our souls, to find us if we're lost, to reassure us when we're afraid, to lead us down the places that we need to go, even though our life is, as the song said, I find joy in the chaos. He is my firm foundation. Will he fail? He won't. My grandson loves to scream that part of the song. He won't. When we're cast, he makes us upright again. And he says to us, there is a destiny. The last verse is a great, great verse. Surely, well, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You remember the shepherd prepares the pasture? Well, certainly the pasture is surrounded with predators, wolves, coyotes. But if the shepherd's there, the sheep feel safe. Anointing with oil was a common practice of greeting back in the day. Well, it's also a common practice with sheep that, that they anoint their nose and mouth with oil so the flies can't bother them. They dip the sheep in chemicals to keep the parasites from clinging to them. They anoint them. And God does that with us. He turns us upside down. He anoints us with oil. He, he prepares a place. Yes, the enemy's all around us. The wonky culture is still there, but he says we can be content in the place that we are. And we can call that place home. If you haven't been here in a while or I haven't seen you in a while, it's pretty common that I say, welcome home. Welcome home. Because to be home is, is something different. The home that you grew up in probably has a, a special place if it was a, a happy home. We are, our goal as, as parents and grandparents is to, is to create a place that is regarded as home. I, I want my grandson to think I'm the coolest grandpa ever and, and that he is safe. He's, he's provided for. He'll be led to green pastures, quiet waters. I'll, I'll, I'll pick him back up and set him on his feet. I want him to see that, that this is a place called home. And in the last two verses, we see God's power. Surely your goodness, a goodness that's His goodness. That's, that's the basis of home, not our goodness, His goodness. And then it uses a word for love that's only used in the Old Testament as the kind of love that God can give. Surely your goodness, not based on anything I've done, not based on anything I could do, but merely that I've chosen to follow the shepherd. Your goodness, your love, your mercy, your, your everlasting love will follow me how long all the days of my life and then some because I will dwell in your house forever. 
You may have noticed that the metaphor in the psalm moved from shepherd to host. That he is our shepherd. We, we own him and then it, it moves to a, a place where we get to sit at the table with him. We get to call his home our home. Will you bow your heads for just a moment? It's quite possible that there's somebody in this room or somebody watching online and you've never come home. You've never begun to follow this shepherd. In the coming weeks, you'll hear much more about that. But for today, if, if you've never made that decision to follow a shepherd, as the service winds down, I'm going to ask Bridget and John and We'll stand down here at the front. And if you just want somebody to pray with you, I, I, I need to know that shepherd. I need to be reassured by that shepherd. But if you've never chosen to follow him, if you've never said a prayer, something like this, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you to forgive the sin in my life. Allow me to have the assurance that I will dwell in your house forever. I come to you as shepherd. I, I don't know how to live between the cross and the return, but, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be content in your plan. If you've never done that, would you do that today? Would you come see one of us and say, I want to get this journey started. And we'll pray with you and, and help you understand some next steps. Would you do that today? For the rest of us, we've got six weeks of this where we're going to try to learn how to live in the meantime. And if you want a goal, it's Easter Sunday. Begin thinking about who you're going to bring with you, a cast sheep that needs to be returned to their feet. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for all that you're about in our lives. Thank you that you care for us as a shepherd cares for sheep. That you give us this poem to help us to learn to live in a culture that's surrounded by predators. God, thanks for the table that you've prepared, the green grass that you've prepared, the still waters that you've prepared, the guidance through the dark places. Lord, teach us contentment to be your children, your sheep. And teach us that in the name of Jesus.